Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to John. We're in chapter 18, and we're going to start with the 15th verse, and it goes like this. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Because this other disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. However, Peter stood outside near the gate. The other disciple, the one known to the high priest, came out and spoke to the woman stationed at the gate, and she brought Peter in. The servant woman stationed at the gate asked Peter, Aren't you one of this man's disciples? I'm not, he replied. The servants and the guards had made a fire because it was cold. They were standing around it, warming themselves, and Peter joined them there, standing by the fire and warming himself. Meanwhile, the chief priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all of the Jews gather. I've said nothing in private. Why ask me? Ask those who heard what I told them. They know what I said. After Jesus spoke, one of the guards standing there slapped Jesus in the face. Is that how you would answer the high priest, he says? Jesus replied, If I speak wrongly, testify about what was wrong. But if I speak correctly, why do you hit me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing with the guards warming himself. And they asked, Aren't you one of his disciples? Peter denied it, saying, I'm not. A servant of the high priest, a relative of the one whose, Peter, whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you in the garden? Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a story that happens Thursday night. They've just had the, the, the Lord's Supper. They've met. They ate. Jesus says, when are you going to betray me? Judas runs out of the house to go and betray Jesus. Um, and Jesus goes up to the garden to pray. Now, John's gospel does nothing with the garden. He doesn't care what happens in the garden. He's not concerned about Jesus' inner anguish at all. He doesn't care that Jesus isn't so certain about this path. He doesn't, really isn't interested about the disciples and what they're doing at the garden. He cuts straight to the temple guards showing up, or the Roman guards showing up to arrest Jesus. Now, Jesus is standing in the garden with his friends, with some disciples, and the Roman guards show up. And they said, which man is it that we need to arrest? They don't have any idea who, what they're doing there. And Judas goes up and kisses Jesus on the cheek. And they arrest him. Now Peter, being Peter, gets a little angry about the arresting process and grabs one of the Roman swords out of the scabber and cuts his ear off. And Peter, for some reason, doesn't get arrested, which I'm not real sure how that happened. I guess they don't care. <laughs> and um, the Roman guards take Jesus away. And so now the disciples are standing in the garden wondering what it is they're supposed to do next. And I've always heard the story told like this, that Jesus goes to the high priest's house and gets you know, interrogated, and the other disciples scatter. They run away because they're afraid. Now, you can totally understand why they might be afraid because um, their leader just got arrested and Peter cut some dude's ear off, which is an arrestable offense. So surely they're looking for Peter. 
And yet this story tells us something a little bit different, doesn't it? They didn't run from Jesus. They weren't hiding anywhere. John, the beloved disciple, goes into the house with Jesus and stands right next to him. And Peter can't quite get up enough gumption to do that. Or maybe he does and he's not allowed in. Because Peter, remember, is a fisherman. He has no standing in society. He has no connection to the temple. He doesn't know the high priest. There's no way he's getting in that room. So he gets as close as he can. And they ask him, aren't you one of the disciples of Jesus? And here's where it gets sticky. Peter says no. And I've always been told that that was because Peter was afraid and he denied Jesus. He betrayed Jesus because he was afraid. And I wonder if there's not another reason why Peter might have said no. What if Peter betrays Jesus not because he's lying and not because he's afraid? What if Peter betrays Jesus because he had no other option at that point? He's standing in the garden, in the courtyard, and he wants to be with Jesus. And the closest he can get is the fire outside of the house. And he says, no, I'm not with Jesus because he wants to be at the fire. He wants to know what's going on. What if Peter doesn't deny Jesus to save his own skin? Peter denies his own Jesus because he has to be part of it. He's always got to have his nose in the middle of whatever's happening. What if Peter acts not out of fear or anger or betrayal, but acts out of self-interest? Puts a little different spin on Peter, doesn't it? Peter's always getting in trouble. <laughs> That's what Peter does, right? Peter is the disciple who is always acting out, who's a little bit insecure about his place in Jesus' circle, and so he's always acting out, trying to prove that he deserves to be there, that he belongs. We hear over and over again stories where Peter does something to prove that he is good enough to be part of the group. He gets in a big fight at one point with James and John about who gets to sit next to Jesus in heaven. You know, those fights that siblings have, which is basically what the disciples are, about who gets to sit next to mom or dad, right? I want to sit in the front seat of the car. Yeah? Anybody else have a family that developed an elaborate system to rotate who got to sit in the front seat of the car, right? <laughs> My mom had a chart with a little button. like, <laughs> right? This is all it is. Peter and James and John are arguing over who gets to sit in the front seat of the car. And Jesus turns and looks at Peter and says, what are you arguing about? There is no front seat of the car in Jesus' kingdom, right? Nobody's sitting next to me in the kingdom. I'm sitting next to God, and you're sitting down there somewhere, right? Or what about the time when Peter starts arguing with Jesus, and Jesus gets so fed up, so fed up with Peter, that he turns around and calls him the devil. Get behind me, Satan, Peter says. Or Jesus says to Peter. Or what about how Peter sees Jesus walking on water and jumps out of the boat because he has to be part of whatever Jesus is doing, right? I am so insecure, Peter says, that I got to prove to you how much I deserve to be here. And we all know these people. We all know these people who are insecure. They're so uncertain of where they fit that they act out in anger or they act out rashly, or they have to be the most intelligent person in the room, 
or they shout you down in arguments because they are not secure enough in themselves to give other people space to be right. We know these people. And they act out, they act out in anger, they act out in lots of ways, but most of it is coming from a place where they're uncertain about where they fit. And Peter is always concerned about where he fits because he doesn't understand what this kingdom of God thing really is. Jesus keeps telling them, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is near, and Peter thinks the kingdom of God is coming in to take over Israel by force. And Peter is going to get to be the chief of staff. Jesus is coming in and he's riding on a horse and he's taking over and we're all going to get to be in charge and all those guys who think they know what they're doing but don't really know what they're doing are going to be out. And I get to be in charge now. And Jesus keeps telling them over and over and over again that this is not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is not about force. It's not about violence. It is in no way about taking over other people's space. It's not about forcing anyone to be part of God's family. And it's not about swords or weapons. And that doesn't mean there aren't places in the world where they, that's needed, but that's not what the kingdom's about. Peter misses the point altogether. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like this. It's like the shepherd who goes and finds the one lost sheep. It's about the generous dad who brings the child home who's been lost. It's about the generous God who has a place at the table for everyone, even sinners and outcasts, even the people who have no clothes to wear to the party. Peter's confused and he's insecure because he doesn't understand that the kingdom of God is about more than just who's in charge and who gets to be first at the table. And I wonder how often we don't get the kingdom of God all mixed up too. How often we think that the kingdom of God looks like whatever we feel like it needs to look like what makes us feel the most secure. Or we get confused because we think the kingdom of God is about heaven and where we go after heaven. And so we don't worry about this life because this life's not important. It's just about what happens, you know, when we get to the kingdom. And that's, that's not what Jesus says the kingdom is about. The kingdom in John's gospel is about what's in our hearts, what's in our souls, what's in our way that we interact with the world. It's not about what happens in the afterlife. It's not about resurrection. It's not about any of that. It's about how you are living in this world. Can you bring the kingdom of God near? And I think when the church gets the kingdom of God mixed up, when we worry too much about what happens in the future and not enough about what's happening right now, we end up being just like Peter. We end up being just like Peter, who thinks that we need to force people to be a part of the kingdom. But if we were just the kingdom of God on earth, right now, if we just extended our hands, if we were generous like God, if we had a place at the table like God, if we can be the kingdom of God in the world, then we don't need to force anybody to be anything. The kingdom of God is near, God says. 
Now, I read in an article the other day that they did a survey. They do these surveys. Barna does this um, survey every 10 years about people's Americans' attitude toward religion. You know what the number one adjective that they used to describe Christianity was? Judgmental. By and large, the world sees Christians as judgmental, as exclusionary, as mad and angry. And you and I know, folks, that that's not what Christianity is about. Right? That's not what the kingdom of God is about. It's not about excluding people. It's not about judging people. It's not about being right. It's about bringing people in to experience the radical love of God. And we can be Peter and we can lop people's ears off, but I promise you that that will not bring any more people into the kingdom. Instead, we can be secure in who we are. We can be secure in our faith and we can be honest that we have a seat at the table. And that means that our seat at the table is open, the one night next to me is open to anybody else. So if we're going to bring the kingdom of God near, if we're going to extend grace, if we're going to reflect the generosity that God has given to us, then we need to choose to be more like John and less like Peter. We need to choose to be more open, more available, more honest about our experience with God. And so that's the choice that you have. You can be a judgmental, angry, mad Christian. You can do it. Or we can share the gospel of God and the kingdom of God by being kind and generous and creating a seat at the table. It's up to you. Amen.